quick, name the only NFL quarterback who has not thrown an interception since week five. Okay, quick, now that you've guessed that it's Ben Roethlisberger because of what show you're listening to, answer for me what that could possibly have to do with his defense. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer up daily shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. Yeah, an amazing stat. In Ben's last three games, he's obviously 3-0, 748 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, zero interceptions. And what I think of, first and foremost, when I hear that information, is that this quarterback had to go through some bad in order to get to this good. If you go back to the beginning of the season, when he was pensive, he was checking down constantly. He was getting rid of the football almost as quickly as it was snapped. And there were some mistakes made, some bad throws. He wasn't comfortable and said so operating on his wonky hip. He was using his upper body more than he was his lower body. He was learning how to set himself on that hip. And he was dealing with the offensive line, and he was dealing with the fact that they still couldn't consistently run the ball, and he was dealing with a bunch of drops and everything else. And just gradually, week by week, he learned from each of those negative things into how to not make them into positives, but how to kind of work around them. And what does that have to do with this team's defense? Well, the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. However, however, I'm going to connect both of them because I believe that what happened to the Steelers against the Seahawks a couple of weeks ago when Seattle gashed them repeatedly, embarrassingly, For 110 yards in the third quarter alone, just boom, 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 right through them, around them, over them, whatever. Third string running back, fourth string running back, dude off the street, didn't matter. Gash, gash, gash. And it's a tough, tough thing to watch And I'll bet it's a much tougher thing for the participants to endure. But I'm also going to bet that just as was the case with Ben, this defense will be that much stronger for it having happened. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's 
gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at pointpark.edu. Want to know who loves when things like that happen? The coaches. Oh, not in the moment. Not in the moment. Believe me, Keith Butler up in his booth at Heinz Field is yelling dad gum a thousand times over when the Seahawks are doing that. And every individual positional coach is slamming down his headset, pounding the table, punching air, whatever it takes to vent their frustrations at watching their players just get completely emasculated out there on the field. But boy, do they love it the next day and the day after that. Because now they have their teaching moments. Now they have their ammunition to take into their classrooms and reemphasize things that they'd already emphasized countless times through the offseason, through training camp. So when we asked Cam Hayward the other day in Cleveland what the Steelers did better to stop the Browns' run, and he answered, and I'm quoting directly here, stayed in our damned gaps. That did not sound like it came originally from Cam. He doesn't speak that way. If only he'd thrown in a dad gum. So sure enough, the subject came up yesterday with Butler, and he was predictably spectacular. Give it a listen. Well, it, it helps, I mean, that you can exhibit that, uh, what you're talking about, and it, and it, gets, it shows up on film. And, yeah, they, they uh, start to believe it a little bit. It makes our job a lot easier in terms of, you know, trying to coach them and get them to do the things that we're not always trying to get the sack. You know, sometimes we got to make sure we, we tackle the guy and uh, get those guys down and get them into passing situations. That's how you win in this league. Everybody in this league, you know, it's it's vacillated back and forth over the years in that, okay, what wins football games? Running the ball or passing the ball? Well, it's going back and forth right now. It's still going back and forth. Everybody started running what we call Kings people or three wide receivers and a tight end and a back. That's been probably the most used personnel group and uh, offense personnel group in the league. And now, you know, uh, they want to run the ball a little bit more. So what you see is a little bit more three tight ends in the game. You know, they do that a little bit more. Uh, the last two teams, especially for uh, that we play. And they try to control the ball. And uh, you got to, defensively, defending that stuff, we got to make sure we get them in you know, third and long and not, not third and medium and stuff like that where we don't know what they're going to do, run or pass or draws or screens or whatever. So um, it's a lot easier to defend people if you got them third and ten, third and nine than it is third and four, third and three, stuff like that. So we we got to do the best we can in terms of stop and run and keep it within, you know, three yards run. 3.7 is our goal. Uh, we're not at our goal yet overall, so we got to do better than we have been doing. Just like that, everything crystallizes. They've got a goal. They've got a numerical goal. They're pointing first and foremost toward being a stout run defense. This is not original. This is applied at every level of football all across the continent. Every defense says first and foremost, we are going to be this. We are not going to let somebody run on us. 
But this team needed that to happen now, as opposed to, oh, some of you will recall a certain game against Jacksonville in which the Steelers waited way too long to get that lesson. You get that out of the way now, and you fortify that. You make that a team strength. Even if it's not a strength, you can make it something that's not a shortcoming that can't hurt you. And they were able to do that. How? Well, it wasn't just Cam Hayward. It was Chris Wormley. It was Isaiah Bugs, And they did stay in their damned gaps. And you saw T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith sealing the edges on the rush. You saw Devin Bush and Robert Spillane and Joe Schobert making plays that inside linebackers should make. And best of all, you saw the cornerbacks and safeties who'd been leading the team in tackles against the run have their numbers drop. When they did get up there, they made plays. They weren't letting guys slip and bounce off of them the way they had a couple weeks earlier. They made plays, but they didn't have to make as many plays. And when you have that set, when you have that as the cement that you've laid, you can build up a pretty nice house. You can now start doing different things. You can get more active with the blitz. You can do a little bit more stunting. You get more confidence. You get more swagger because you know the guys around you have it taken care of. You know you don't have to worry about filling this guy's gap because he's not. You know you don't have to back that guy up because you know he's going to make a tackle. That Seattle game, mark my words, if and when this defense gets to where I expect it to be, and I think the way I'm expecting here is reasonable, I'm actually going to point back to that third quarter against the Seahawks as why it happened. When we come back, just one question. Tim Bode, who asks, okay, so the Steelers have roughly $14 million in cap space left. What do they do with it now that the trade deadline is passed? Well, let me start off by giving a correction to the number. This isn't any kind of criticism, Tim. I've seen so many different versions of this number as to how much cap space they have that they could actually utilize. The number that I've always trusted the most is the one that's given to the NFL Players Association. And that figure right now is $10.23 million. So just putting that out there to try to make it as accurate as possible before I say this, wow, how did that happen? How did they allow that to happen? Meaning Kevin Colbert and Omar Khan. How did they put themselves in a situation where they left that much on the table. Sure, it can be utilized into 2022, but it's not needed in 2022, which is why it's irrelevant in that context. The 2022 cap space 
by all accounts, is somewhere in the range of $65 million. If Ben is gone and you wanted to go get another Ben, you'd still have $45 billion, $50 million to play with. Even with TJ signed to the long-term deal. Even with Minka Fitzpatrick gradually playing himself out of the kind of monster contract they thought he'd command. They're going to be awash with cap space next year, which was all the more reason to invest everything that they could have this year. Don't tell me, please don't try to tell me that these guys looked at this roster and said, yeah, yeah, that's it. We don't need any additional help. Not when they went and got Schobert at the last second. They knew they weren't set at inside linebacker. They saw the way Bush was running around, or not, in the preseason games. They saw that he was going to have trouble on that knee. They saw that offensive line. They saw that those guys were going to take a while to be ready. They saw that Zach Banner, who still hasn't stepped onto the football field, wasn't going to be available. They saw that Stefan Tuitt was going to be a longer-term struggle. This is all before the kickoff in Orchard Park. All of this, everything I just mentioned to you, all of this was known when they could have signed additional free agents, when they could have made trades, to your reference about the deadline. Now, it's easy, I think, convenient, to look at your current roster and say, well, if we had brought in this guy, he wouldn't have been as good as, I don't know, Isaiah Bugs or Carlos Davis or whoever for the defensive line. But more often than not, that's just we didn't get the job done or we didn't want to or we didn't bring in people from the outside because we don't like bringing in people from the outside. That actually came up again this week. I'm surprised that it didn't get a lot of attention when it was spoken. It was from Mike Tomlin. He was referencing Melvin Ingram. And he was making clear that Ingram understood or should have understood when he got here that he was number three. That there was TJ and there very much was Alex Highsmith. And the Steelers had committed to Highsmith as a starter, and understandably so. So for Ingram to come in, Knowing that, saying that he knows that, telling us, the reporters, that he knows that, and then acting like three, four, five weeks into the season, something had changed. That's what moved Tomlin to throw in in discussing why Ingram had fallen out. This is why we like to have our players, our guys that we draft that we bring up, that we show how things are done here. Well, Jerome Bettis was acquired via trade 
People forget that now. Drafted by the Rams, spent his rookie year in St. Louis. James Ferrier was a free agent who'd spent the early years of his career with the Jets. Were these guys any less Steelers than someone else? I, I just, I get it to an extent. I do, but, you know, you got you to gotta invest. You got to spend up to what you can, especially in a year where you have your franchise Canton-bound quarterback quite possibly playing for the last time. Really, really strange. I appreciate the question, Tim. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll do another one on Monday in advance of the game that night against the Bears. 